I mean, we just had a situation recently with a, a development we did in Heidelberg West. We'd finished the development. We went to get the council did the final inspection and they said the garage doors that we put in didn't meet the ventilation requirements that they had in their minds. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 104 of your favorite property development podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Enjoying some warmer spring weather in Melbourne. It's nice to see the flowers blooming and a sense of renewal in the air. Got a great show coming up with an interesting guest who's going to share a great tale of how she became involved with the family property business. Before we get to that, here's a couple of quick project updates from me. The first one on Cambridge Road, the big activity that's been happening on site in the last few weeks is the preparation for the driveway to be poured with concrete. Lots of formwork and preparation being done for that. There's also a lot of fixing carpentry work that's going on across the site and plastering is getting ready to happen in the front six townhouses. So I'm really looking forward to the driveway getting poured as it'll start to tie the project together and really clean things up on site. On my other project, we're just waiting for the 28-day period to expire before council can formally issue our permit. So in the meantime, I've been working on getting the civil plan finalised so that we can get some quotes for the earthworks and trenching works that need to happen for the subdivision to happen. So there's been a fair bit going on to keep me busy. A couple of quick announcements before we get to our guest today, one for the property developer training. If you want to get into property development and you don't know where to start, then be sure to check out my training program. You can find out more at propertydevelopertraining.com. I take you step-by-step how to do a small-scale property development project. There's also my book, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer, an insider's guide to wealth, fulfillment, and glory. You can get a copy of that at propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash book. And there's the free quiz to see how ready you are to become a property developer. And you can find that at propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. And finally, you can find all my project-related videos and updates on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, amongst others, with the handle of Property Developer Podcast. Okay, let's get to our guest today, Leonie Akidanor. Leonie is a second-generation property developer who has stepped into the family's building and developing business, Newbank Homes. Leonie has a background in management consulting and never planned to become involved in property or the family business. Now she's deeply involved with all aspects of projects and brings her strategy and process training to the table to ensure efficiency and effectiveness in all aspects of their business. In this discussion, we cover how Leonie went from management consultant to property developer the challenges their projects have faced over the past couple of years, and we talk about how more women can get involved with property developing. Keep a close ear out for how Leonie transformed the family business using her management consulting skills to provide greater insights and control over projects. 
This is a great conversation. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So let's get stuck straight into the conversation and kick off by finding out what food Leonie would eat until she was sick. Oh, that's a goodie. Oh, Nutella. I don't know if that's a food, but damn, I love it. <laughs> it's more of a spread, but, you know, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, I used to get the little plastic um, containers in my lunch when I was yes. little. I used to throw those in there as a snack. Yeah, oh, it's the best. Like, give me a jar and a spoon and I'm happy as Larry. My stomach doesn't love it, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, our kids love Nutella as well, so we actually have to not have it in the house because it's so addictive. Addictive, totally. <laughs> Once you start licking on that stuff, yes. it's just... <laughs> There's no stopping you. It's, it's, I don't know what it is about it, but yeah, it's yes, crazy. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome on crepes. Oh, the best. Like on anything, right? Like mm. so, so good. <laughs> yes, our daughter used to want to have it on toast and after a little while we had to yeah, stop buying it because it was just yeah. getting out of control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you go to like Costco, they sell it in those, they're like five kilo buckets. <laughs> wow, Jesus, deadly. <laughs> anyway, it's great to have you on the show. Um, we're going to hear about your experience getting into property development, which will be awesome. So just give us a bit of a, a background about how you got into property. Yeah, sure thing. So my parents actually started Viewbank Homes 30 plus years ago, and I always thought there was just no way I was ever going to get into property. I um, grew up going to display homes and construction sites, and I was like, no, I want to do something sexy, like, I don't know, be like the CEO of Chanel or be in fashion or, you know, and so I was like, yeah, property is not, it's probably a bit masculine for me, to be honest. I just didn't resonate with it at all. Um, And then funnily enough, I went off and studied, um, after I studied at uni, I got a job at Ernst & Young in management consulting and I worked there for a number of years, but one of my last clients was the government property arm of the New South Wales government. So, I was brought on to essentially support the COO at the time when I was living in Sydney. I'm born and bred Melbourne. Um, and I loved it. And, I, you know, it was a female in property and she was just fantastic. And the organization was great. I felt as though I could implement a lot of my consulting background skills in, you know, improving processes and things like that within the organization. I felt I added value and I actually really enjoyed going out to the sites and all of that. So who knew? It was actually in my blood the whole time. Uh, And then soon after, uh, they actually hired me. um, So I left Ernst & Young to work for them full time. I eventually came back to Melbourne um, because I always knew I wanted to sort of end up here as far as, you know, family and things like that goes. And I was looking for jobs. And because I was in such a senior role and I was sort of only 29 at the time um, in Sydney, I really struggled to get a similar level of seniority and I didn't want to drop in my pay or seniority level, to be honest. Um, And yeah, I really struggled to find a comparable role. And so then at one point, as I was looking for a job, my parents said, why don't you just come and work for us for a little bit? And I was always like, oh, family business. It's probably not really my jam, probably too many dynamics and things like better to keep that separate. Um, But as I struggled to find work, I said, all right, I'll dip my toe in it. I'll help you guys out for a bit. I'll, you know, help improve processes and things like that. That's what I do. And, um, and then I'll probably find another job and that will be the end of it. And my parents were like, cool, no problem. We'll have you for as long 
as you'd like to be here. And so now six years on, I'm still there. <laughs> so. so can you give us a bit of a, a history and sense of you back home? So was your dad the builder? Yeah, absolutely. So dad's the builder. We are both the property developer and builder. We build for ourselves and then sell those homes. So essentially we will buy land, we will subdivide, we will get the permits, we'll build the houses, typically townhouses, and then we will sell them. Um, People can purchase off the plan, absolutely, based on a spec style build. Uh, They can uh, customise elements of the home, but nothing drastic, nothing structural or anything like that. And um, and then, yeah, we'll sell it to them. So that was sort of, my parents started, um, you know, basically building one townhouse and then two townhouses, and then it sort of grew from there. And so what's the annual number of units that you might build? Yeah, look, it does vary. Um, We ramp up and down our construction activity based on the market. Uh, At the moment, the market is not ideal. Prices are through the roof and it doesn't make sense for us to have a huge amount of stock sitting there waiting to be sold. So we have wound down our construction. When I say wound down, we just haven't gone hell for leather like we usually would in a good market. So some, you know, some years we'll build more than others. Um, You know, example of of projects that we're likely to start next year would be um, there's a development of about 20 to 30 homes. Um, We've got another one coming up that's about 50. We're finishing one at the moment in Leilor, which is six, just to sort of tie us over for the bigger projects. Obviously, there's a lot of um, a lot that goes into getting that permit. So whilst we wait for that, we do smaller, more inner city jobs. So it does vary, but I would probably say on average across the years, maybe 20 ish 20 to 30 maybe a year just depending and so when you first came into the business what were the issues that you were looking at and what did you help iron out or improve yeah so i mean we were talking about a long standing business here which had grown from building one or two townhouses to building you know 30 as i said a year call it um and what was interesting was all of the knowledge was in my parents head and also we did not have a massive team so we have a lot of contractors from our consultants to our trades um so we don't have that many mouths to feed in house we do now have um a couple of project managers and some office staff but it is very streamlined uh so for that reason there didn't need to be a lot of pro- is in place because the two owners were the ones that were running the show. Um, I came in and I was like, cool, induct me, teach me. How does it work? And they were like, uh, yeah, just, just kind of like here's a whole pile of paperwork and just sift through that. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm so confused. You know, they'd never had to teach anyone else what they did. They just knew it all themselves. So I went in and, and I actually got a bit nervous about that. I thought if God forbid anything happened to the two of you, this company is going to like, it's done. Like no one knows other than, you know, <laughs> no one knows what you know. And that's a problem. So my background, as I said, was in strategy and process improvement. So I started getting processes in place. I started documenting things. I started doing, you know, spreadsheet budgets of things versus the way in which they, you know, had it previously. I We transitioned from my up to zero. I just was like, we need to make this as simple as possible so that it is a business that can be handed down from generation to generation or, you know, or even from person to person, depending on what this thing looks like. So I really started in the business and now my role has progressed more as now our systems and processes are in place and things like that. Um, I do a lot of the property development work as opposed to the construction arm of the business. I'm going to come to that in a second, but can you give us an example of 
something that you might have um, codified in terms of a, a system or a process, something practical that someone listening might understand or appreciate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, firstly, budgets. Uh, I found that uh, like when you have done something for so long, you know in your head what things are worth. So my dad on the back of a napkin could be like, yep, this feels about right. Yep, happy to spend X, Y, Z. Whereas I am looking at it going, okay, we need quotes we need for the different trades. Whereas my dad knew that, oh, per house, plumber's going to be X times it by 30 houses. That's why. Yep, cool. That sounds about, you know, but it was never really you know, documented heavily, right? Um, so I, yeah, we started a process where, okay, well, we asked for the quotes and then we put them in the zero system. And then we, I would track, I would have, you know, um, sort of fortnightly reporting where I would see my actuals against my quotes and I could see if things were spilling over above what was quoted. I would ask the questions, you know, so all of this stuff was happening anyway. It just wasn't documented. So I could, particularly when I was trying to, we were looking to sell off the plan, I knew with a higher degree of certainty what the thing was, these homes were going to cost me versus my parents who knew, but more of a general, you know, idea as to the cost of the, of the build. And we, to be fair, we would usually hit the expectations that they had, right? It was just that anyone else would not know what they knew. <laughs> That's excellent. And uh, you mentioned about becoming a property developer. So talk us through how that came about and what that involved. Yeah. So I, I guess previously my parents were probably more heavily reliant on people like town planners and things to really manage the property development process up to the point in which we got our building permit. Um, so that was going well and I was busy, you know, behind the scenes in the business getting everything organised. But then as I would attend more, you know, my parents would say, oh, just go to that meeting with council with our town planner and just kind of keep, keep us updated on what's going on there. So I would attend the meetings with council and I'd be involved with more of the consultants and the architects and the, and the you know, the engineers, et cetera. I guess or, over time organically as things in the business kind Kind of started to hum, I went, okay, well, I'm probably more needed over here in coordinating the efforts towards getting our permits. So I think just organically it's grown into, I've grown essentially into the property developer for the organisation um, alongside all of my very capable consultants too. Um, but I think also I was leaning into my project management skills. I, I, you know, I essentially have always been a project manager. And I guess to some extent as a property developer, you are a project manager, right? So it kind of like, I guess, was the natural progression for me. And so what are the lessons learned from becoming a, a bean counter to some, somewhat of a creative looking for projects and sites and making it all happen? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest lesson learned is patience. I really struggled with how slow things can take from a when things are out of your hands. For example, when you've issued something to council or you're, you know, you're meeting council for an idea or a concept and everyone is sort of on the same page, but then you walk away and you and then you get an email saying, no, no one's on the same page. Yeah. Or we've got all these fluffy ideas about things and we're like, well, that's not going to be feasible from a economical perspective. And you know, so there's just patience and not getting too frustrated. I would find the meetings with certain stakeholders quite frustrating because I'm a very get it done, no time to waste, you know, get it done sort of person. So previously in my 
in-house role and my management consulting role, it's always very tight. You know, you're getting paid by the minute to be a consultant, right? So you have to produce output all the time and you have to be very timely around how you do that. So I've come from that background where everything is in my control. I can, you know, I've got all the information there. I just have to sort it and put processes in place and make it, you know, and then it communicate that to the teams and let them know what's going to happen moving forward. Everything is basically within my control. And then you become a property developer and you can have all of the things, you know, nicely there. You've got your plans, you've got your concept or whatever it is. And then, but you still need to get that signed off by someone, i.e. council, right? So, and then they'll have their ideas and then they want to tweak things. And, you know, and it's just that working together um, aspect that really taught me patience because I, I already don't have any, but I've really had to kind of lean into that even further, um, knowing that, yeah, there's only so much in your control. And then what about something like site acquisition, which I'm guessing is probably not something that you had a lot to do with generally over your career and now you're picking sites? Yeah, um, the good thing is we have a lot of relationships. We build in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. We know a lot of the agents in those um, areas. So uh, because of the relationships my dad had fostered for so many years, we're pretty lucky in that we'll often get the call as soon as something's available. Um, And yeah, the agents kind of look after us in that respect. So then it's more us internally. And when I say us, typically my dad um, with all of that knowledge and myself supporting uh, will determine, you know, what we can do, whether it's going to be feasible, whether we want to purchase it. So I, we don't really, we've been very fortunate in my role, I haven't had to seek out opportunities for land much at all. It's often just come to us. And so typical projects would be what? Small unit development or you mentioned some larger townhouse developments. Does does it just depend? It does depend. If we've got uh you know, 40 to 50 development um, you know, in the um you know, in the planning phases, obviously that takes a long time to get through all of the requirements from council, et cetera. So we have tried to ensure that we've always got a job in the pipeline for our works workers to continue ticking over. But where, you know, something's been delayed further, we'll often acquire a smaller parcel of land of, I don't know, two or three, maybe up to five or six townhouses just to kind of keep people busy. So yeah, it does depend. If we're more in a city, it's smaller and it's essentially usually just to tie us over for the bigger jobs. So was your old man doing these sort of 20, 30, 50 townhouse projects before you came along? He was, yeah, yeah. He's been doing it for like for a a while, so yeah, he has been. (laughs) That's good. So you got to piggyback on the back of uh, his experience and knowledge, exactly. And so, what's the role now between the two of you then? Yeah, so he's still the builder, and he uh, basically is a lot more on the construction side of things. So loves to be out on site, you know, all of that. Oh, go out on site, absolutely. Maybe two, three times a week. other times I'm there every day, obviously it just depends on what's going on. Um, but yeah, for, for shorter periods of time throughout the day. So uh, it's kind of this dynamic of his construction, I'm property development, and that's kind of how it's been at the moment. Yeah. And then what's the perspective that you've taken both uh, personally and as a business to the escalating build costs that have happened over the last 
couple of years? Well, my perspective is that we have to rethink the elements that we had ordinarily included as inclusions in the home because, of, you know, for example, stone throughout, right? We always did stone throughout for bench tops and things like that. We still do actually at the moment just based on the developments we've got. But, you know, with we kind of have to start looking at our budgets and going, okay, well, maybe with our future development we might have to do laminate in the you know, in the wet areas and only stone in the kitchen. Like you start having to really think about like, you know, are you going to do engineered board or are you going to do, you know, not, yeah. So there's just so many elements where in a great market and when the when the costs were appropriate, you we're happy to add because it produces a, we think, a more higher quality product. And that's what we pride ourselves on. Even though we are in the more affordable areas, we always like to take pride essentially in, in what we're building and so we'll always throw things in we'll always do the window blinds we'll often do an alarm system just thrown in you know just because it completes the home we'd like to think of it as it's turnkey you walk in and everything you need is kind of there just move your furniture in so but in a <laughs> in a market that we're in at the moment where builders are going you know bust left right and center unfortunately like you see how it happens right and so these little costs you're, we're looking at every line item now and going do we need that or is there a better option there we have to rethink that do we want to do the Bosch appliances no we won't do that because it's too much we'll do an Ariston or you know so there's just so many things that we need to tweak just to ensure that we are still producing an amazing product. We're not going to skimp, you know, too far. However, we are, we're just so much more conscious of the budget. I guess that plays strongly into your skill set and background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I guess from a yeah strategy management consulting background where, yeah, absolutely, you need to be mindful of the bottom dollar and also um, ensuring that your business is humming as efficiently as possible so that you're minimising any unnecessary costs. Yeah, I mean, that's the area that I used to play into. And so casting your mind or your eyes ahead, what are you seeing or planning for over the next couple of years? Because it's a strange environment that we're going to be in with increasing population and more people coming in Bill costs are still high and all the other associated costs with doing a project, which you'd be very familiar with, not to mention the delays, getting through planning, all of that together says to me there's still challenges ahead for the next couple of years. So as a firstly, as a builder, what are you seeing and what are you preparing for? Well, I just think, I mean, this is something my dad would always say, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. If council, as soon as you pr provide, you know, your first solution to council and they were like, yeah, right, or they got back to you really quickly and you were able to hash it out and get your permit quickly, there would be so many more property developers out there. So we kind of have to look at it, you know, glass, you know, whatever, whatever is glass half full versus glass empty in that if it was easy, we would have so many more competitors and therefore land would be more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I don't, I mean, I feel as though fundamentally, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So <laughs> our current arrangement in townhouse developments in certain places we we only really are in the north because we know the north we know the councils we know how it all works um 
it, that's we've just been doing that for a very long time. So regardless of the economic outlook, we will continue to do that. And as I said, wind up or wind down the pace of construction based on the, you know, based on what's happening in the macro environment. So I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that we'd be looking at any things any differently. I wouldn't say that we're more risk averse. If anything, I think it will be better because I mean, we've just come out of a pretty dark period as as builders and um, property developers. It's been really, really hard, you know. So surely as population grows, it's only kind of upwards from here. I should probably touch wood or something. But <laughs> yeah, it's been so, yeah, it's been challenging on so many fronts. Normally with property development, there's a sort of one or two parts of the whole development cycle that are a bit of a challenge. It might be getting a site, but then planning might be a bit easier or mm. pre-sales are a bit easier or you know, funding's a bit easier. <laughs> it feels like they've all been really challenging. Exactly. Oh, 100%. And, but the thing is, during the challenging times is the opportunity to you know, learn and become even more efficient and more excellent at what you do, right? Because you have to start thinking about all of your costs. You can't be, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll let that one go, you know, whatever. In good times, you're like plenty of money coming in and out, you know, whatever, it's fine. Now, well, as I said, you look at the bottom line, you're looking at areas to optimize or to, you know, minimize costs in, et cetera. So, and then I think you're a more efficient beast moving forward. And as the market gets better, you're actually more streamlined organization. So I think, you know, don't get me wrong. We've had so many, I've had so many days where I've been so frustrated about all of these elements that seem to be against us, right? As in this industry. However, what a great opportunity to look at our organizations and work out the best way forward. There's a lot of talk because we're both based in Victoria, but I know nationally this conversation is going on around increasing housing supply. Have you got any ideas or thoughts of what kind of changes might be coming down the pipeline or what you think could make a difference to supply? Uh, I Yeah, I, to be honest, I never... I'm more a reactionary kind of person, so I don't really speculate all that much. <laughs> I think, you know, obviously as, you know, government initiatives are being implemented, et cetera, we then go, okay, we're going to obviously, you know, if there's a great government initiative coming up, then we know as a business, right, now's a great opportunity to get more stock on the market and blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't think I've got any particular thoughts about, yeah, what what could be coming up. I'm happy to just receive the information and then, you know, organise ourselves accordingly. <laughs> well, the issue is it's going to take years to move the needle in terms of yeah. boosting supply. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't see any real resolution to the shortages of housing over the next two or three years. Yeah, I mean, and look, you're noticing, I mean, off like developments are sort of stagnating as well, not even from a planning perspective, but um, a lot of the time with funding, like if you, a lot of people rely on a certain number of pre-sales to get off the ground. Um, we're fortunately sort of not in that situation. However, we're even stalling because we're like, we don't want to go and have all these houses on the market in this kind of market. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there's been this stagnant, you know, you know, lack of stock, um, particularly brand new, that will filter on for a period of time because you, it doesn't take, you know, three days to build a house, right? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to to see what happens. Mm-hmm. So there, there'll always be opportunities. There'll, 
the gaps and places where people can make money and those will come up in the next couple of years mm. where the, the challenge is always the time, the lead time that it takes to make all this stuff happen. That's right. Yeah. So you're having to crystal ball two or three years <laughs> into the future with a lot of townhouse projects. Yeah. Um, what's your, so what would be your advice then for people that are listening in thinking about what they should be doing over the next couple of months or couple of years? Around what specifically? Oh, their property developing, their projects. Um, hmm. What would be my advice? I would say, as I've spoken to um, previously, this is a the construction and property development is is kind of it's no joke. Like it, you can lose money very quickly if you are not, you know, firstly really savvy about the um, the your land purchase, uh, really savvy about how you um, navigate your business and and your processes and all of those sort of things and your costs, et cetera. So I guess my biggest word of advice, I think just in general in property development is, yeah, being really across the numbers and and feeling as though you are monitoring those numbers as efficiently as possible because you see, I, I see how things blow out. And um, so, yeah, I think that the I come back to the cost because I'm like, if you don't have the money, then you're out of business. So I think, um, yeah, advice there would be if you're not a numbers person or you're kind of relying on your an accountant to give you the info, that's fine. But as long as they're providing you with regular updates so that you know that you're still in the green and you've got a buffer, because we all know, I mean, we just had a situation recently with a, a development we did in Huddleberg West We'd finished the development. We went to get the council did the final inspection and they said the garage doors that we put in didn't meet the ventilation requirements that they had in their minds. And I'm sitting there going, what do you mean? They, they have holes in them. They've they've got ventilation. No, 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 no. We need more holes in them uh, based on what? Based, based on our based oh. on our thoughts yeah yeah and i was like okay cool so um what what do i need to do then well you probably have to get custom doors i reckon yeah custom doors and this was like 2 weeks before christmas and i was like uh i'm trying to a you joke like custom do- yeah yeah so all of a sudden we spent an extra $30,000 on three custom doors because we couldn't without that we're not going to get our final sign off we're not gonna be able to set get our titles we're not you know so you're gonna have a buffer and this is us being like what we've finished the development so again you know <laughs> having a bit of a buffer and being very vigilant about your figures i think would be my top tip yeah i mean these crazy things that council throw up it's just wild what they come up with and it's not an isolated incident and then people wonder why property is so expensive mm-hmm. yeah crazy things that they come up with yeah <laughs> uh what's the best piece of advice you have ever received yourself oh gosh um okay so best piece of advice i think pause before reacting so I like, as I said, my I run very hot. I run at a very fast pace. And I think sometimes when we react initially to, uh, you know, a comment that was made at council or to someone saying something about needing something, you know, 
additional on the building side. I think just sort of what I've realized initially I would jump and go, oh God, they said you need an extra vent or something. Oh, we better go get that. You know, whereas now I always will pause. I'll always just take a beat, check my reports, you know, just sort of before sort of taking on board whatever it is that has come to me. I think we work in IFINE. It's quite a stressful environment at times because it's so high stake. Everything that we deal with has extra zeros on the back of it. We're not selling pens, right? No, No disrespect to those selling pens. I'm sure they've got their own challenges too. But for us, you know, one thing, oh, a garage door, 10 grand, right? This is no, so I find it um, because it's such high stakes, it is a stressful environment at times, right? And you can, I found panic would set in like, oh my God, like what, you're 10 grand, like, what do you mean? Like, you know, but, and therefore I'd be react reactionary. And I think just sort of taking a beat, speaking to the people around you, double checking your documentation and just determining the best solution moving forward, uh, you know, and giving yourself time to do so is like a really good place to start, I would say. And what about across the course of your career? What would you say or think is something that you've actually done quite well that's served you well? I think being very organized and and you you know what it's like, you know, just (laughs) keeping the documentation organized and that is vital because the last thing you want is to be giving printing off plans that were endorsed by council but an update was made and that the other the new plans that are now re-endorsed but that's for the update but then you gave the original endorsed plans to the people on account on the construction site because you saw a stamp on them but you didn't realize that there are actually another set of plans that have a stamp on them and they're the plan you know and so paper work is really, really important and obviously, but also in you need to know what version or what, you know, which is the final because otherwise people could be working to the wrong thing and there's massive implications there too. So um, I would say being very organized with your documentation, I, I am an organized person um, and, you know, I think that a little bit of a natural trait, but I think I became even more vigilant with my organizational skills, particularly my documentation and all of that, um, the version control and things like that, because in this is such a high stakes environment and I didn't want to be handing someone the wrong sheet of paper and then be kicking on with that and then, you know, you find out down the track that whoops, you know. (laughs) So I would say, yeah, organisations definitely um, very integral in this side of um, this kind of work. So how do you ensure that version control now? Well, it's just um, ensuring that you've got really good um, naming conventions and things like that on your, you know, we use Dropbox um, and just ensuring that every time there's a new version or a new doc, it's like we we date it, we have a certain way in which we do it, but we date it, we, you know, we're very clear on the versions. So, yeah, just kind of making sure that your office admin processes are really vigilant. And what about your advice for developers out there who might be wanting to take their developing to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I would say in order to do that, um, be really across the the budget and kind of stick to that. So I think uh, all about growing and all those things, but fundamentally, if you feel the figures aren't going to stack up, it's not really going to work for you, right? So I think first and foremost, 
having an idea as to if you're wanting to go from, I don't know, five townhouses to 10, going, okay, cool. So what would that look like from a cost perspective for each of these buildings? Okay, great. Now, what would that mean depending on house sales in the this particular area? And just, I guess, just doing your fees and being really clear on that. And then when you do find the land, for example, not being swayed to pay an extra 50 or 100 grand because, oh, it is a good spot. Oh, sure, we'll make the money back at some point. Oh, the market will probably take off by the time the houses are completed. Oh, it should be fine. We'll make it all back. You know, sticking to that budget that you've set because as we can see from today's environment, the market doesn't always take off when you want it to take off. And so you've got to, I, I mean, I think, and this is why I think my parents have done so well um, in, in being able to sustain a business for so long is that they were very vigilant about money and it was, they never sort of, I guess, got carried away by maybe what they were hearing was going to come up or whatever. It's just like, this is what I've got to pay for my land. This is all it is. And if I can't find what I'm looking for, then I'm just going to hold fire until I do find what I'm looking for versus just getting a bit excited. So yeah, I think just really sticking to those figures based on your FISO is a really good place to start. And then what's ahead for ViewBank over the next couple of years with Leone at the helm? Yeah, I mean, I... I'm not really sure, to be honest. I guess we'll just continue to do what we do, um, do best. I mean, a lot of people have said to me, oh, would you venture into other suburbs? Would you go interstate? Would you, you know, and I, having seen how this business has ebb and flowed for so many years now, I actually think there's no real need. If, we, if As long as we can continue finding land where we need to within the northern suburbs, as I said, we know the real estate agents, we know the councils, we know the people, you know, so I think, you know, continuing to do what, what we do best um, and fine-tuning that as, as time goes on as far as our, you know, the way in which we operate as a business, the way in which we, you know, go after land and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't see us really venturing out to a different product or even a different location. I think, um, yeah, we'll just keep doing what we're doing and try to better get better at and better over time. <laughs> now, I'd like to ask you a question just about being a female director of a developing business. I think it would be nice to get more females into the industry. I think females, women in general, would make really good property developers for a whole range of reasons, but for they're not really that representative yet. I'm sure there's more and more coming through, but what's your advice or thoughts out there for women who might be listening, thinking of getting into developing, but something's holding them back? Yeah, I mean, and I should say first and foremost, my dad continues to be the director, but I am essentially, I guess, is to I see um, head of development. Uh, I did do a course in, uh, did a cert for in construction just to know the lingo. But outside of that, I mean, I was yeah hugely intimidated when I first walked onto a construction site which was 100% men, and here I was with my consulting background walking in being like, cool, how can I fix things, you know? <laughs> and they're kind of like they're talking about lock up and fix and, oh, yep, just go up the, up the scaff and old mate's up there and, yeah, he'll sort you out and the bricks are coming soon. And I was like, wait, what is going on? This is like a completely different world. And don't get me wrong, I've worked across many industries from mining to banking to education with my consulting experience. I found construction the most confusing as far as the lingo and just everything. So I understand why particularly women would find an environment like that particularly daunting. I mean, it's very male heavy. 
everyone speaks a different language, it feels, and you just got to like, where do I start? So, uh, but I guess the one thing I would say is that if you enjoy being, you know, project managing, if you enjoy sort of producing beautiful spaces, and I know a lot of females as well, I mean, you see a lot of the interior design, for example, is very female heavy. And I think perhaps people think property development is, yeah, this very kind of masculine, you need to be a almost a builder kind of thing. You don't, you just need to be really organized, you need to love the product. And you, you sort of need to love just managing people. And so I feel like I've gone off on a tangent, Justin. You were sort of saying, what would I say to to women out there? Um no, I, I I agree. I think yeah. most a huge majority of purchasing decisions for mm. new property or property in general involves a female. Mm-hmm. I don't have any hard facts on that. It's just a feeling <laughs> I have, but I'm I just sense that Females are involved in a lot of the purchasing decisions when it comes to property, but I, not so heavily represented in the production process of the of the houses. So, um, which I think they'd be really fantastic at. Oh, and a hundred percent. And I even think about the work that I've done with working with with clients, um, customers who have purchased off the plan and we're talking about, you know, things like adding extra things in and straight away I'll be like, or even just being on a construction site in general and the boys will come up to me and say, hey, we've got this kind of alcove, what do we do? Do we want to make it shelving? Or I'll straight away think, you know, mum hat on, hold on, that's storage. We always need more storage, you know. And so I'm there going storage there, uh, no, extend the bench space. We always need extra bench space in the kitchens. No, vanities have to have that extra bench space because what if you've got your hair dry you need to put it down somewhere so uh, you're right I mean having and not to say that every female will think that way but you know the females are the ones often on average in the home generally long uh, for a lo- longer period of time throughout the day than the the men um stereotyping here a bit but you know so I see the house in a very different way to the way you know our carpenter sees the house um so I'm looking at the functionality of it and I think that's what buyers like when they deal with me going back to the off the plan stuff they'll come to me I'll work with them and say okay how do we tweak this how do we make it better for you and your family so I agree there's so much benefit having more females in this job and it is actually yeah, kind of, it's really fun. As I said, it's the project management perspective, but it's also walking into a space and going, how can I optimize this in the very best way possible for the next family who are moving in? Very good. Well, um, I know you've got to get going. So was there anything else you wanted to touch on? I think um, you've got your own podcast as well, which isn't properly property related, but um, perhaps you could tell us about that. Or is there anything else you want to touch on before we part ways yeah absolutely so yes I do have a podcast I uh as I mentioned I am a mum so I've got um two two sons and I started my own podcast actually after I was listening to yours Justin for a number of years too and I do love um my podcasts in general and I decided to start one three years ago and we explore the lives of mums and dads so essentially I'll have both mums and dads come on and they'll talk about you know what how their lives have changed since being parents so we've had every Thing from sexless marriages to I, I'm struggling to co-parent with my ex to, you know, they're pretty juicy topics too. Like, you know, um, my husband's undermining my parenting. My wife 
you know, said X, Y, Z. So, and essentially all these topics are brought to us and we really explore them either with our guests or with experts um, too. And the premise was to make people feel less alone about their experience as being a parent, because it is such a beautiful time. Absolutely. We love our little cherubs, but also there are a lot of challenges that come with it. And there's a, there's something really special about talking about those challenges. So yes, you can find me um, on Instagram, actually, Parenthood Pod, uh, otherwise Parenthood on all of the podcast apps. Fantastic. Yeah, well, I can uh, certainly attest to the challenges that come with me. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder which is more challenging, property yeah. developing. Or yeah, right. <laughs> and it's not great when they both collide, when you're having yeah. heaps of challenges in yes. property development and you're having heaps of challenges with your kids. Yes. Uh, takes it to a whole new level. But anyway, mm. listen, thanks, Leonie, for coming on the show. It's been really fantastic talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time out to share your thoughts and lessons learned as a property developer and I wish you all the best for uh, ViewBank and your projects that are coming up. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dustin. It was great to chat. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.